throughout or on period, periods throughout the year, and that is the uh, opportunity to receive new members uh, into the life of the church. This morning, in each of the services, we'll be doing this, and uh, combined, we'll be receiving 35 new members into the life of the church this morning. So we are uh, we're excited about that. So I'm going to ask uh, the group if you are joining this morning, if you'll uh, come on down. And um, find your spot in front of your certificates. They are all in alphabetical order, starting with A or B, in this case, over here, and then moving all the way down. And I'm going to take a moment, just a second, introduce these folks to you, uh, as I like to do. Uh, but before I do, want to remind you, and, um, you know, as a challenge to us, to remember that uh, we share in this together. So in a few moments, each of our new members will be taking and making their vows, uh, but we do too. And we renew ours as we support each other. So um, before we do that, let me start down here with Kathy. Hi. Kathy Bridges, I'm going to introduce these folks to you. If Two things. One, if I butcher a name, for my own ego, pretend I got it right. Don't tell me about it. No, correct me. And then if you, I'm going to do all the time, but if anybody wants to add anything, feel free. Go ahead and do that. Um, but Kathy Bridges, born in Cincinnati. Lived there till she was nine, then moved to Sarasota. So um, also grew up then in Sarasota. A registered nurse, case management director at Bay South, Bay South Bay Hospital. Okay, so it's always good. I'm always glad when we have nurses or doctors join because I know there's people we can call on um, if something happens. It's good to have skill in the congregation. Um, Kathy enjoys uh, yoga, reading, bike riding, and mostly her grandchildren. And uh, has three children, four grandchildren, and is joining by profession of faith. Get all that right? Yep. Wonderful. All right. Todd and Tracy Brown. Todd, born in St. Louis, Missouri. Grew up in Troy, Missouri. Um, okay, I guess nobody from Missouri in the group. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, is a delivery driver. Uh, Tracy was born in Dayton, Ohio, uh, and grew up in Bradenton, and is an accountant and enjoys reading. Uh, between them, six children, two grandchildren, and um, they are joining by profession of faith. Did I get all of that right? All right. Okay, Christy Cochran. Christy is a Florida native. There's a few of you. Born in Lake Wales, Florida. Grew up in Frostproof, and then, how's this for a change? Moved to uh, Powell, Wyoming. So there's two extremes, I think. Um, is a mental health therapist. Also good to have in the congregation for some, for some of us. No work on weekends? Darn it. Um, uh, Christy enjoys exercise, house projects, puzzles, and John guitar. I don't know what that means, but we might want to look up. And, um, and if I understand, that's correct, right, before I announce this? Yep. Okay. I never want to guess, but has one child on the way. So, um, and that's to, to be determined yet? Do we have a due date? March. March sometime. Okay, yeah, that's kind of the target there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Christy's joining by profession of faith. Okay, Judy Eberhardt and uh, her husband Bing, who um, is not with us for health reasons, but um, he is also going to be joining and joining us as, as a member of the church. Bing's a resident of Windsor Reflections uh, Memory Care in Lakewood Ranch. Uh, Judy was born and raised in, is it Maslin? Am I saying that? Maslin, Ohio. Um, it's okay, you can clap. A homemaker and a secretary as profession. Um, enjoys reading and volunteers and activities at the Windsor Reflections in Lakewood Ranch. Uh, she and Bing, two children, two grandchildren. 
and uh, is transferring from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Bradenton. Get all that right? All right, Judy, wonderful. All right, Louie and Sally Hamlin. Louie, born in Birmingham, Alabama, raised in Valparaiso, Indiana. Okay, was a pipe fitter, construction manager, enjoys golf, fishing, and sailing. Got that right. Sally, born in Illinois, grew up in Orlando. So what part of Orlando? Okay, far east side. I lived in Maitland for a few years. That's why I always ask that right up there. So um, we're just going to talk. Don't mind us. Um, <laughs> but uh, worked in home health care for 30 years. Another person who knows health care. That's good. And uh, enjoys crocheting, gardening, volunteering at Tidewell Hospice. God bless you for that. Volunteering at the Thrift Cottage as well. Uh, they have a son, Robert, two grandchildren, and joining by profession of faith. There we go. All right, wonderful. Okay, let me see how. Let me sneak over here. I'll get between Kathy and her. All right. No, you're good. You're good. All right. Oh, actually, let me. How am I doing? Larry, let me get in between you two. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> let me do it this way. But they're together, right? Yes, yeah. they're together. That's what threw me off. Okay, Larry. Haveman? Yes. Haveman. Oh, Haveman. Okay, very good. I feel small standing next to you. Um, born, born and raised in Zeeland, Michigan. Um, owner, business owner, triple A precast stone in Palmetto. Did I say that right? Okay. Yeah. Enjoys hunting, Civil War, which I love that, history buff there. Raised baseball, um, five children, six grandchildren, and is joining by professional faith. Did right. I get that right? Okay. Right. Now, Kathy, who's with Larry? That's why I kind of got thrown off for a second, and that doesn't take much for that to happen to me. Um, Kathy, born and raised in Mi Mishawaka. Mishawaka. Thank you. That's what I was going to say. Mishawaka, Indiana. Um, worked in quality control and retail and enjoys raised baseball, so there's a good connection there. Um, four children and joining by professional faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Okay, now let me squeeze in between. Christopher and Anne-Marie Irving. And they reminded me, they were married last November, and I, did you feel, reminded me I was there. She wanted to make sure I remembered I did the wedding. So it was good, it was good. I, and I, you know, that kind of stuff helps. Um, Anne-Marie is born in Tampa, another Florida native, grew up in Valrico, uh, is a social worker. We have themes going on throughout the, uh, the thing. Is, is a social worker, enjoys dancing, running, and her nieces and nephews, which I knew because we talked a lot about that. Uh, Christopher, born in Pinellas County, grew up in Seminole, Florida, is a teacher in Pinellas County. Am I remembering that correctly? And um, enjoys dancing. Oh, no, you don't enjoy dancing. You enjoy fishing. <laughs> run, you might enjoy dancing. Enjoys, he better enjoy dancing. If, um, fishing, running, hiking, cooking, anything outdoors, and we have a bond. She's a Duke fan. So um, he's special. <laughs> um, anyway, now this is what I love. And this happened, things happen in groups and classes that have never happened before. And Anne-Marie, I think you were the one that did this. Um, that signed, and I, it happened, somebody in the first service did this. I, f I learn about people. And I learn about their sense of humor. I don't know if it was you or Chris that did this. But I, I put on the forms, if you've joined, it, it asks where you um, were born, where you were raised, and came here in. And the idea is, is, tell me when you came to the area. You know, that's kind of one of those things. Their response, came here in a car. <laughs> so was that Christopher? Okay. I love that. I think it's great. Two people. At six years I've been here, nobody's ever done it. Two people did it in this group. So I don't know how this stuff happens. So uh, let's see. Did I miss anything? I said married last November and joining by profession of faith. Did I get it? 
Okay, do you see how the couples match clothes? This is so cool. Do you see this? That's great. All righty. You're just, oh, okay, that's fine. You can do that. You can do that. Karen McCroskey, correct? All righty. Born in Denny, Kentucky. Have a bunch of Kentucky folks this time. Grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Now, here's interesting about Karen, because I know we have some Hoosiers here, was Indiana's University Staff Library for, oh, 20-some years, until 2013. So there's a Hoosier connection. There's your connection, John. Um, enjoys gardening, exercise, decorating her home, hanging out with family, and also loves to cruise. And this is where I'm going to announce something I'm very jealous about. On October 10th, she was leaving for an eight-day Caribbean cruise in the Eastern Caribbean. <sighs> so, yes, you should. She's already getting into it. Two sons and one grandson, yes. correct? All righty. Okay, and last but certainly not least, Joan Steele, born in Lewiston, Maine, grew up in Auburn, Maine. So up there where it gets a little colder than it does down here, I think, yeah, that's slightly. Why that's why you're here. Yeah, you're not alone. Uh, a teacher uh, enjoys... What's that? Retired, retired teacher, yes. And that's a retired, make that clear. Um, enjoys reading, likes to travel. Um, five children, son, and then I think you said four stepchildren that came into the family. And uh, is transferring from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Bradenton. All righty. Okay, this is, the, this is the largest group this morning that is joining. Now, as I said, we're gonna, I'm going to ask them their questions of faith, which they'll respond to together, and then we'll take our vows of faith as well. So I ask each of you, and these questions are, uh, I do responses, and I ask you on behalf of the church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? And then lastly, will you be loyal to Christ through Parish United Methodist Church? Do all in your power to strengthen our ministries, to faithfully participate in our ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. All right. Brothers and sisters, I commend to your love and care these persons whom we this day receive into the membership of this congregation. Do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. Let us join now together. We rejoice to recognize you as members of Christ's Holy Church and bid you welcome to this congregation of the United Methodist Church. With you, we renew our vows to uphold it by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. With God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that, surrounded by steadfast love, you may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for again reminding us that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And for these brothers and sisters who have stood before and made their declaration of faith and their commitment to serve as we are all called to serve in the ministry of Christ, unite us together, bond us through the power of your Holy Spirit, and send us forth to be difference makers in the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, welcome these new members this morning. Thank you guys very much. And don't forget your certificates behind you. Thank you. Everybody.
I didn't mention, but in the next service with the, I think, 11 folks that are joining there, we'll, we'll also be able to celebrate two baptisms, two adult baptisms, and that is always wonderful, too. So look forward to that. And um, move you back a little, John. Um, we've had just you know, it's a wonderful day of celebrations here in the life of the church, really a weekend. Uh, in addition to the new members and the baptisms and the youth band, and John mentioned to you they did just a, uh, a wonderful job last night as part of the night of worship there at St. Paul, and they were the only youth band that led among a lot of adult bands. And that, you know, that can be a little uh, nerve-wracking when you're, you're young, and it can be nerve-wracking when you've done it for many, many years, but uh, they were fantastic. And so that was a lot of fun. And our women of women who were part of Women of Faith, we had 50, I think, 50 some, 55 women that went to Women of Faith uh, in Orlando this weekend. Some uh, are not back yet. Most of them made it back. Some chose to stay for a few extra days or at least an extra day. Um, and so we pray their, their safe travels back today. Uh, but that was wonderful, too. So just a lot of ways that we, uh, we have been and continue to be blessed. Now, this morning, we are going to continue in James. And I say continue. If you were here last week for worship, uh, our scripture was and our sermon was focused on the first uh, 12 verses of James. It was talked about the taming of the tongue. And it talked about the kind of um, blessing we can be through the words that we speak, the spring of life. That was the, the, the focus last week. And this morning we want to keep going with this wisdom that James imparts to the church, that God imparts through James. And really looking not just at the kind of spring we are, but the source of that, that which works to, to shape us and to, to be the, the driver, if you will, in, in who we are and who we are becoming. So we're going to turn to James chapter 3 again this morning. It's that small book in the back of your New Testament. We're going to pick up at verse 13. You can follow in your Bibles if you have them. You can follow on the screen before you. Again, James chapter 3 beginning at verse 13. Hear these words, brothers and sisters. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. And I want you to zone in on those words right there. We're going to come back to them. Let them show that by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures." Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word and in our understanding. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, that you would help us to 
to hear, not just with our ears, but, but with our hearts, that you begin to shape us inside, deep within, that we would hear from you and grow in faith, obedience, and Christ-likeness. We pray in his name. Amen. I pulled, uh, I pulled this out this morning, brought it over. I think I've, I've had it here before. Um, this, is, um, this is my guitar. I bought this guitar when I was a freshman in college, so it's been a few years. And I uh, bought it from my, my college roommate, who, who's a musician, and um, paid $100 for it. And over the years, it has um, it sat in my office. And I mean, I've learned basically three chords. I'm not playing it for you because I'm not going to embarrass myself. But I, I always joke that I learned enough on the guitar to fool somebody who doesn't play the guitar. If you play the guitar, you know, and Christy said you play the music. If Ryan, John, if they watch me, they'd be like, he's playing three chords, G, C, and D. Because I learned if you learn G, C, and D, you can play just about anything. So, so it's, not, um, it's not, you know, a prized possession. It's not gotten a lot of use. Most of the time it's sat around, it's sat around collecting dust. And if you took this guitar and you compared it to John's guitar, uh, there is, there's no comparison in the, I'm sure, I mean, that is a much more expensive guitar. The quality of the wood, the quality of the components, the kind of things that, that set instruments apart. Uh, you know, again, this is apples to oranges in quality. But here's what I think for most of us. If John was to come in here next Sunday or Ryan was to grab this, or any of our, our guitar player Sam, when he's here, and to play this guitar, most of us would not know the difference. If John picked this up, in fact, he uses this in the office. Uh, it makes, gives me great joy that this guitar actually has some purpose, because it sits in the office that we share, and he uses it during the week to kind of strum out whatever he needs to strum out as he's planning and, and, and uh, organizing the music. But in his hands, most of us wouldn't know a great difference between these two instruments. Only those with the, the, the ear for it would, would probably pick up. And I start with that because here's what's significant about that. The quality of the instrument is secondary to the skill of the musician. The quality of the instrument is secondary to the skill of the musician. So John, to kind of use him as an example, he can take an instrument of lesser quality and he can make it sound good. And he can certainly sound great on an instrument of high quality, but it's his skill that really, in the moment, defines the worth that makes the instrument sing the way that it was created to sing. I want you to think for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you, don't, don't get spiritual. Don't try to jump ahead. Don't try to think about what the preacher is going to get to and, and what you think you should say. I want you to answer this in your head based on your first instinct. And here's the question. How would you define the good life? How would you define the good life. 
If I said to you, I can grant your wish, and your wish will mean that you will have whatever you consider to be the good life, what would that look like for you? Now, I'm not going to assume any truth for all of us, because I imagine our answers to that would be across the board. But I think there's a few of us that might have some common themes in how we'd answer. I think that there'd be more than a handful of us that if we really kind of went with our instinct, our first answer, would have responded in some way that, that would have said financial security or comfort would have been the good life. Or something else along a um, materialistic kind of mindset, whether it was financial, maybe it's accomplishment or position, or title, or recognition, or fame. Uh, I try to answer my own questions honestly. I, I try to not be the preacher when I'm preparing the sermons. And, and mean, what I mean by that is to, to try to honestly reflect. Obviously, believe it or not, when I'm writing a sermon, I have an idea of where I'm going. So it's easy for me to, uh, to get kind of spiritual myself. And so I, I tried to step back and go, how would I have answered that question? And I think if I'm really honest with you, for me, if you said you're going to have the good life, what's that going to look like? I would have said travel. I would have said the ability um, to travel a lot because I love the idea of seeing um, other parts of the world and, and seeing different cultures and, and um, uh, you know, countries. That's, that would be, I think, my instinct for, for the good life would be marked by the ability to do that as often as I was able to or as often as I wanted to. And all of those things, and none of those things in and of themselves are bad. But they begin to betray a habit or an instinct in us to, to have the, the wrong or a misguided measuring stick for the good life. If your gut answer in any way, was self-serving. And that sounds harsh, and I don't mean to criticize you, because mine was. But it betrays in us that, that we have missed the heart of the kind of life that God calls us to in Christ. The kind of measuring stick for, for what James says. Because he says here in um, very in verse 13 of the text I read, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. And I think for a lot of us, we look at the good life in many ways, if we can do it on a surface level, the kind of way that I'd compare these two guitars. And this one is much finer. It has much nicer wood. has much nicer components. It has a, a much crisper tone. It has all those external things that, that set it apart and, and make it in our minds better. But I think God wants us to see and, and evaluate and, and move in a, in a different direction when we answer that question and we understand what that means. And so James, in the text this morning, in this part of his letter to the church, he, uh, he wants us to, to really be mindful of two very contrasting um, ways of, of understanding the world. Two very contrasting sources of wisdom, if you will. And his language is pretty harsh. In fact, one of the ways of, of wisdom that he talks about here, he describes as, um, in verse um, 15, he describes it as earthly, unspiritual, 
and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, how many are going to sign up for that kind of worldview? I'm glad there are no hands up. But he says that kind of worldview, that kind of a wisdom, is wisdom that is defined by envy and selfishness. By envy and selfishness. Now, we hear that, and I think we say to ourselves, I say to myself, well, I I don't want to be, you know, nobody's going to salute envy and selfishness. But the challenge for us is it permeates us. It, we buy into it sometimes without even realizing that we've bought into it. And we're going to get back to that in a moment. The other source of wisdom, which he describes as heavenly wisdom, wisdom that comes, if, if we can paraphrase it, wisdom that comes from God. Hear how he describes that when we pick it up at verse 17. He says, wisdom that is heavenly is peace-loving. Consider it. Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers. So we have one way of seeing the world, one source of wisdom that, again, is full of good fruit, impartial and sincere. And we have another that he attributes to causing divisions among us. I mean, if if we went back and read verse 1 through 3 again in chapter 4, it says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives because what you want is meant to be spent on yourself. And so we have these two very contrasting measuring sticks. We have these two very contrasting worldviews, these two contrasting drivers in our thoughts. And, and so I look at that, and I want to simplify it. I want to I boil that down. I want to get something I can really hold and grasp. And this is my simplification of it. That which James calls as demonic, that which he calls as earthly, is a worldview that first and foremost says it's all about me. It's a worldview that I buy into and and you may buy into that says I come first. My needs are priority. And so it becomes very self-centered. It becomes very inward-focused. And the problem is that we hear that and, and we, we, we attribute that to a worldview that then is malicious toward others. And see, it's so much more subtle than that. See, I don't think that's the problem. Most of us don't wish bad on other people. But this is how we know that worldview, that measuring stick, is starting to, to creep into our source of life, if you will, into the spring of our hearts. It is because this is how it starts to live out. It's not that I don't want you to do well. I want you to do well. I want Eric to do well. But I don't want Eric to do as well as I do. I mean, I want him to do well, but I want to do just a little bit better. It's not, it's not that I don't want you to be successful. I want you to be successful. But not quite as successful as I am. You see? See, it's not, it's not about wishing bad upon anybody else. It's not that malicious and intent. Because I don't think... Most of us have that kind of a worldview. We're not wishing other people to fail or fall on their face or not do well in life. But see, he calls that the bitter envy. See, the bitter envy creeps into our lives when, first and foremost, we want our well-being. First and foremost, we want our success. First and foremost, we want our accomplishment. And once we get ours, then everybody else can have what's left. That's okay. But it first becomes about us. 
And the scriptures challenge this over and over. And Jesus challenges this over and over. And Paul challenges this over and over because it is so natural for us. It's a consumeristic mindset. And James says that when it comes to our life in Christ, it is demonic because it puts us in, this, in, in the place of, of primary importance. And when we put ourselves on that pedestal, there's no room for Christ. So he says, we have to be aware of that kind of mindset. We have to be aware of that thought that first and foremost becomes all about us. And I have to, because I fall into this trap all the time. And if we don't think this crowds into churches, then you're just not paying attention. Because it, it infiltrates us all the time. I, I, I can remember um, the, some of the conversations, especially when, when I was right out of seminary. When Tony and I came out of seminary, and I was, I was 25 years old. And I'd been, when we were at St. Paul for two years as an associate, the same place that the kids um, played last night for the night of worship. It was, that's the church we were at when Ryan was born and uh, where, where he first started uh, hearing and dancing as a, as a toddler to contemporary worship. So it was really kind of cool to see that come full circle last night as he was up and playing with the other youth. But what happens is when, when you're a young pastor, you get this sometime in churches. Tony and I dealt with this. Other pastors have dealt this, with this. Because uh, a lot of times you serve in, in smaller churches. And you're serving churches that sometimes are really, really hungry to reach younger people. You know, I, I can remember going into church and they were so happy that we were coming. And, and you know, Ryan was, was a baby and Cassie was on the way. And they thought, yeah, we've got this young pastor and this young family. We're going to get young people. And they said to me, and I hear this all the time, we want young people. We want young people to come. But here's what they really said. Now, it's not what they said with their words, but what they said with their actions. We want young people to come. We want to reach new folks in our community so long as we don't have to change anything that we're doing. You know? We want new folks, but we want them to come doing the things we like, the things we value, the things that we hold in high regard. Now, let me be very clear. The things that the churches I've been in that valued and respected and the traditions, they were wonderful. There was nothing wrong with them. The problem was the mindset. The mindset was we want to reach others as long as it doesn't require anything from us. As long as we first get what we want, then we can reach others. And again, that sounds harsh, and I don't think they meant it. I don't think they, people think of it that way. I don't. But what happens is it creeps into our mindset. We become consumeristic. We want to go to the place that reaches, that has the music that we like, that has the preaching that we like, has the children's program that we like. We want to receive, we want to receive, we want to receive. And again, that's a part of what we do in worship. You do receive. But when you and I become the primary place, when we become the most important, everybody else takes a back seat, and it becomes a very inward-focused mindset. It's navel-gazing. It's looking at ourselves. And James is warning the church, and he's warning the leaders, and he's warning us, that's not the mindset of Christ. So that's the earthly wisdom. Second is the heavenly wisdom. And this is what that looks like. In fact, Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 2, when he says this, in your relationship to each other, he uses these words, I quote them all the time because I love them, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now that's what we talk about. I mean, I, wouldn't that, we say that's exactly what we want. We want to have the same mind. We want to be just like Jesus. We want to think like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to embody Jesus. Paul says, good, let me tell you what that looks like. 
Though he was in the form of God, he did not grasp equality with God, oneness with God, as something to be exploited, something to be taken advantage of, something to be held on to for his own benefit. Rather, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. Taking on the form of a slave, he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. Who did Jesus die for? He didn't die for himself. He didn't need it. He died for us. Jesus said, I put before all else the well-being, the needs of those who I've been called to save. That's us. So what's the mindset of Christ? What's the heavenly mindset that James calls us to? It's a mindset that says our first priority is to others. Our first priority is to make an impact in those whom God has called us to serve and to touch. We see that over and over and over in the Scripture. That's what we're called to value. That's what's called to be the, the measuring stick of our life. Margaret Sangster was a, 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 a teacher and a, um, uh, a writer and also a social worker in the late 18th, early, I mean, late 19th, early 20th century. She tells a story that one day she um, became aware of a young man in an, kind of an urban ghetto situ- uh, scenario, a poverty-stricken situation. He'd been hit by a car. His legs had been left mangled, couldn't walk. He'd gotten no proper medical care. And so she thought to herself, it's not really my responsibility, but I need to step up. And so she took this young man and she got him to an orthopedic surgeon. He had surgery. Two years later, this young man walked into her office, walked into her office under his own power, no crutches, and they embraced. And as she would tell this story to groups, she would ask them, what do you think that young man is doing now? And of course, it'd be interesting if we did that right now. But, but if you're like me, you're probably, you'd think, well, he probably went on and made some significant impact. That's why you tell these kind of stories. He went on to be a doctor or a um, minister or, or a, a social worker. He did something of significance. Well, when she'd tell that story, she would tell it with tears in her eyes. Because she would say that young man who she thought at the time, if she had done anything in life, she'd made a difference in his life. That young man, she said, went on to commit one of the most heinous crimes you can commit against your fellow human beings. And she said, I had helped him learn how to walk, but nobody had showed him where to walk. I'd taught him how to walk, but nobody had shown him where to walk. I want to extrapolate that out, that he had a mindset that this gift became all about his own needs, his own wants, his own desires. Crime is one of the most selfish acts you can commit. But nobody had shown him how to live this new life to be a difference maker. That's what we're called to be. That's what James reminds the church. Let's go back to the guitars for a second. You know, the value of the music, the impact of the music that the praise band sings or our choirs sing or, or in any situation is the difference it makes on the listener. It doesn't impact, it doesn't touch, it doesn't bless those who hear. Then really, what significance? What's it doing? I want you to think about that in terms of our own life. Let's go back to the good life. 
What if we understood that the value of our good life, if somebody was going to evaluate my life and your life and say, we're going to find out if he or she is living the good life, what if you knew that that would mean they would never actually talk to you? They wouldn't look at your accomplishments. They wouldn't read your resume. They wouldn't find your job titles. They wouldn't look at your bank statements. But rather, the barometer of the good life would be measured by the people you know, by talking to your family, talking to your coworkers, talking to your um, people you sit with and get to know at church, talking with others in your circle of influence. What if the impact, the good life, was really measured by the smiles we leave on the faces of those who know us, the difference we leave in the hearts of those who have loved us and who we have loved. Maybe that needs to be our measuring stick. In fact, I know it does, because that's what James is talking about. He's talking about a life that benefits the community, benefits the other, not just ourselves. And that's hard for us, friends, because that's not natural. That doesn't come easy. That's not instinctual for most of us. We have to invite the Holy Spirit into that. We have to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to work, to shape, to call, to move us in such a way that our lives are measured by the other, not by us getting first and foremost what we want. That's our challenge. So here's the, the challenge I want to leave in your hearts, I want to leave in your ears. Are you living a good life? Are you living the good life that you've been called to live? And if you are, you'll know it, not because of anything that you've achieved, but because of what you've given and the difference you've made. We all have room to grow in that. So let's us strive together, today and always, to live that kind of a good life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank every week your patience with us. For some of us, um, our instinct is to, to want what we want for us and to be very inward-focused. Help us to remember that our call in Christ is to be outward-focused and to love others and to give ourselves to be impactful in the lives of those who you have called us to serve and to love. Make us to be that in faithfulness, to model Christ, to reflect Christ, to have the mind of Christ in all that we do and say. We pray in your holy name. Amen.